if you're like me, you want to get your business ahead, but there's certain skills you need, but you just don't have. If this sounds like you, then you need to head over to Fiverr. They have a whole array of professionals that can help you in different areas from design to writing, marketing, and more. They have you covered. I seriously can't tell you how much Fiverr.com has helped me along with this podcast. Um, I've used them so much for this podcast. It's been unreal. They make my flyers. They go ahead and um, I hire this guy to help me upload the each episode and in the beginning in order for me to be all over the place it was I was totally going to Fiverr it was I seriously just it's I've gotten so much for my business through them so please use my link which you can find in the description of this episode or you can go to MarcellaAlonzo.com and book there through Fiverr today you'll be glad you did Hello and welcome to Sunday Funday with Marcella Lonzo. And today I welcome my guest, Derek Dresser. Thank you so much for coming on. You are a New York-based comic and also one of the co-hosts of your, um, what's it called? Off the Gate? Podcast. On the Gate. On the Gate. Yeah. On the Gate. On me, the Gate. Me and Yes, yes, yes. So tell tell me a little bit. I, I saw you about a year ago. Um, I hope before. was I good that night or no? No, you were good. You All were right, good. good. You, you, good. I remembered you in my head. All right, good. So if I didn't remember you, like, or if I did remember you and it wasn't good, you wouldn't be on this because I. <laughs> there's people I see that are popular that I'm like, oh no, 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 no. I'm not contributing to that. I'm you know very authentic. So. Yeah, I mean, talk, talking about jail and heroin sometimes doesn't always go over well. You know what I mean? <laughs> talking over uh, about jail. How did you first get into comedy? How was your start? So after I got, uh, like, started getting my life together about a year or two after I got out and I was clean off of drugs. You know, I used to joke around a lot while I was incarcerated in most most of the institutions I was in. And um one of my buddies uh who's also incarcerated for a long time was like he was like you should get into comedy man you're you're a funny dude and then i just started writing jokes and i went to some open mics bombed my ass off but just kept trying and here we are like six years later wow so six years ago and of course you started in new york yep born and raised in new york what part brooklyn brooklyn what part of brooklyn i'm in brooklyn east new york oh wow yeah that is for the audience members that do not know. You can share with us about East New York and how it is growing up. Oh, it's it's very very rough area. One it's of rough. the yeah, it's not it's not the gentrified part of Brooklyn. I'm not talking uh, Bushwick and Williamsburg. So it's uh it's uh it was rough. It was rough. I don't live there anymore. I moved out of there finally. Like uh, this will be my third year living in Manhattan. Yeah. But, yeah. Definitely. Definitely tough area. Yeah, yeah. And you have a very interesting mix. We were talking a little bit about that uh, because you are a, a Puerto Rican Jew and I've uh, by your mother's side. Yeah, my mother is the Puerto Rican Jew. Wow. Yeah. And you said so she is my a, father's a, German with some Jew in him. Uh huh. Yeah. And then your mother was because, yeah, because a lot uh, from Spain. She, from Spain. Yeah, the, yeah, my grandmother, yeah. My mother was uh my mother, my actual the woman who gave birth to me, she was born uh in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. From uh Jerome Avenue. 
Oh, okay. Okay. Nice. Nice. So you, uh, you started doing comedy right after you got locked up. How was that experience like transitioning into being a creative and just trying to keep that hustle the whole time? It was, so I I started getting in trouble when I was like 12 years old. Right. Mm -hmm. And basically from the ages of like 12 to 33, years old i was just in and out of institutions started out as uh like a small time crook you know stealing this stealing that cars whatever and then eventually what happened is i ended up getting hooked on heroin in my late 20s like right around the Mm -hmm. time i turned 30 so the end the end of uh my jail experience my incarceration experience was due to uh my drug use you know what i mean so and then basically that's what I talk about on stage now is, you know, the reason why I do it is because there's not many of us that are formerly incarcerated that do mm-hmm. comedy. Yeah. Um, a lot of people definitely in sobriety for sure, but there, there's contrast, you know, sometimes you just got, uh, you know, guys who are nerdy telling nerdy jokes and you got, you know, women who just talk about dating. And then, you know, I feel like, you know, me talking about jail and drug use is, you know, at least different from the norm. You know what I mean? Yeah, especially in New York, because I noticed that it's it's you're right. It's got these uh, these nerdy guys that are talking and then the girls talking about dating. Yeah, I yawn, even though like I do like some female comics and they are cool. But some of them, when they start talking too much about dating, I start yawning. I'm like, okay, can we talk about there's other things you could talk about as a woman besides a bad date, bad dates. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not everybody does it, but I definitely I have I don't really I have no dating material. I just talk about I'm like I'm a Puerto Rican Jew. This is where I'm from. I've been to jail. I was a heroin addict and this is how my life is now. Like that's And now you now you just like hustling trying to survive trying to get through. Well yeah, like I I do comedy basically every night, which mm-hmm. is which is a blessing to be able to get booked mostly every night, even on nights where I wake uh, days, I wake up, I don't have shows. Usually somebody will hit me up to come do something, but uh, I, I work a full-time job too. I'm a drug counselor. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then I have another job uh, where I work at a fitness studio that only hires formerly incarcerated individuals. So you always, is is that that one? uh... Body. Yeah. Oh, really? You know, Cos? Um, I, I've heard of it and I've never been down there. I can't do, um, I have a metal rod in my back, yeah. back. So it's like, I can't do burpees and, uh, have to do a lot of Pilates, but I've seen that and I've always wanted to go there out of curiosity. So he really does hire only former. Inc- yep. Costa, That's only, good. Yeah. He, That's so Costa's a Dominican guy born and raised right here in the Lower East Side. Um, mm-hmm. he started selling drugs when he was about 13, 14 years old. I think they caught up to him finally by the time he was, I think he was about 20, but he was making a couple million dollars a year and uh, he got sentenced to 15 years and then they and ended, up, ended up getting dropped down to seven because they changed the Rockefeller laws. And mm-hmm. uh, now he, he owns the gym. He gives guys who have been guys and men and women, both who have been locked up, you know, a chance, you know, if they want to get into the fitness industry and uh, his brother is also the, uh, I think he's the district councilman for, for the lower east of district two so you got one brother who was a politician and one brother was a drug dealer it's a pretty <laughs> it's a pretty beautiful story but that's great he's given back opportunities because nobody really talks about the disadvantage of when you do get locked up and people are like well they shouldn't have done the crime but you know when the odds are against people 
Yeah. Yeah. That people don't really talk, you know, that's why it's important. We have like these programs for young kids and yeah. stuff to keep them out of trouble and more, you know, uh, more programs, more structured, more right. stuff in the community for the kids. So they don't get in trouble. So you they know what's don't. wild too, is that for me, like incarceration, the last time I was incarcerated, like it was like the nail in the coffin for me. It really, I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like I mm-hmm. don't have the stomach to do this anymore. But what really made me change uh, the way I thought was all the programming I did after I got out. Like I went to an, I went to another program for, you know, guys who are, regularly getting incarcerated or have issues with drugs whether it be selling them doing them and uh we would do like five groups a day and that just really helped me you know look at hold myself accountable for for what i did right years i was making mistakes like Mm -hmm. there came a point where i had to be like all right listen i can't keep blaming everybody on the outside even though the system has something to do with it i have to start looking at what i did hold myself accountable for it and then and then start to grow so yeah, but the programs the programs help way more than the incarceration. I think New York is finally starting to get that now because mm-hmm. other states like Jersey is all about reform, New Jersey, yeah. and they're putting guys in programs early. And the recidivism rate for those guys is way less than when they just hit you with incarceration right off the bat. You know that happened to me when I was thirteen. You know I got in trouble, no program, right into juvie, and all that mm. did was prepare me for jail as an adult. Yeah. And then that's when the cycle starts. So if they can get these young kids and put them in the right. Have you thought about starting something for comedy for younger teenagers or some sort of like that would be good for like a the younger middle youth? Uh, I just thought of something. I'm yeah. like, no, but I'm like, you could easily do a nonprofit, but something for the younger kids, like a sort of like an improv troupe or something. Yeah, that would know, be could, that would be a beautiful thing, actually. Yeah. improv I, I wouldn't I would I'm have, just I'm just yeah. throwing it out there because you know what I'm saying like there's the, I'm sure somebody needs to get organized there or come up with something you know some sort of like program because not every kid's athletic right not every kid can go and, and they want to shoot the and we just went through the pandemic where the kids were all stuck in the house you know teach them how to entertain and you know what I'm saying? Or some something to give back to the younger kids so they just don't get in trouble so they can focus on, on the, you know, a more positive goal than right, right. Yeah. And uh definitely that definitely that was such a, a crazy experience for me. Cause you know, you I was a kid, I did do something very bad, like I stole mm-hmm. a car, there was a big police chase, like I didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I could barely see over the wheel. And uh it just turned completely, it went, it went nuts. Like if a 13 year old was committing a crime, it's like something you would, you know, would think a 13 year old would do when the police blocked me off. I was trying to get around the roadblock. There was police jumping over here, jumping over there. And then when I finally got in the car, they, they gave me a good beating. Oh, at 13 years old, at 13 years old. And I, they waited till my mom got there. And then she, she had a good, uh, she had a, you know, a nice talk with me too. And, uh, but I just remember, after um, I saw the judge the next day, I was talking to my father. I go, Pop, you think you could send me clothes wherever they send me? And my father was like, you're not going to, son, you're not going to need clothes. Where this, they're going to have a uniform for you wherever you go. And he was right. And I just, just that whole, that whole experience of being cuffed, you know, 13, treated like, uh, like a criminal, which I did commit a crime, but, you know, basically, you know, 
as an adult. And I remember when I got to the, the detention center, the juvenile mm -hmm. detention center where they were keeping me, the woman there, when, you know, she took me from the police, she was like, uh, she said to me, she goes, do you know how to take care of yourself? And uh, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm 13 years old. And she was like, oh, you, you'll see what I mean soon. Because Oh, man. She's like, the boys here really know how to take care of themselves. And basically what she meant was, you know, these guys are going to try to take things from you. And if you don't stand up for yourself, you're not going to have anything in here. So. Oh, wow. So you learned at a young age just to. Yeah, you had to fight. I mean, which wasn't something I wasn't completely, you mm -hmm. know, I fought a lot when I was younger and I, I definitely wasn't the best street fighter. I got my ass kicked plenty of times. But the thing is, is like when it's every day. It's like, mm. you know? And for a young kid that does a lot mentally. Oh, absolutely. It made me for years think way up into adulthood that the only way to get people to listen to you would be like through aggressive behavior which mm. is so toxic right and it just ruined a lot of relationships with me in my life and uh like i said i didn't see the end up seeing the light till i was already 33 years old so and then you finally got the light and so um with comedy that changed a lot of things for you on top of uh going to different therapy you know and um yeah it definitely the thing with comedy is like I'm talking about a lot of serious stuff, but I'm making light of what I've went through. You know, I don't get up there and try to be like, you know, I'm I'm this tough guy. I'm this gangster. I'm like, you know, I'm this goofy. Right. And this is what what I did. And this is how I feel about it, you know. And uh, mm. it definitely, you know, comedy is very cathartic. It's very cathartic. It helps. It definitely helps me deal with some of the stuff in my past. But it's not all I have. Like, I still go to therapy and mm -hmm. all that stuff. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Now that's important. So, and you've been sober all this time, uh, right? I will have nine years uh, clean and wow. sober on August twenty eighth. God willing. Wow! Yeah. Congratulations for Thank that. You. Doing such a great job. Now, how hard is it though to be in the nightlife? And you know, you see people drinking um, so, and everything and partying. Like, how do you deal with all that? Like, so I stopped drinking. Like before i even got clean like i hadn't drank or did anything for like once i found heroin i was like this is it this is mm. this is what i want you know what i mean or this is what i've been looking for right. and and um now like uh drinking like i've seen people drink does not bother me i've like lost the obsession to want to do heroin like i used to have drug dreams and early recovery and all that and uh but now i i mean listen uh, it's just a day at a time still but it, seeing people drunk doesn't bother me i will say this weed smoke does bother me i was weed never, smoke smoke yeah. wow yeah i mean i won't sit there and complain if it's if right, right 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 on me i'll just remove myself but right. also i see how people act like i know i, I don't want to drink but i also see how people act when they get some drinks in them and i'm like Geez. Right. you know what i mean yeah yeah so so you heroin just that was your drug of choice. So that once I was, yeah, once I found heroin, like people even ask me now, they're like, You're 80 years old, you're on a beach alone, no one's around. <laughs> you have a drink? I go, No, I don't have a drink. I go, I would do heroin. That's what I would do. You know what I mean? Right. I want to have a drink. No, I understand that because everybody has I've uh I've never been much of a drinker at all. Could I take it or leave it? Yeah, I could leave it easily. That's mm -hmm. just not my fix. So I totally get where you're coming from. But we we all have that one particular drug. And I remember uh, 
after I had back surgery, I, they gave me all sorts of pills. Really? They gave, they gave me lower tabs. They gave me, this is in 2008. Right. And um, Solmana, what's it? Solmana? So, so, Sonomas. Sonoma. Relaxes, they gave me those. Yeah. I didn't like those at all. Mm-hmm. Um, lower tabs I sold, but the only thing that worked for me to take was Percocets. And it mm-hmm. was, um, and that's when I fully understood addiction because I remember like the doctor said, okay, you got to cut it up now or whatever. And I listened to everything the doctor, but getting off of it, Very that hard. was, oh, it was, it made me so cranky, but it was like, if I would even, I weaned myself off with the doctor, and even like a half a, I remember uh Percocet, like I was like, that didn't do, I need the whole one. But I was like, nope, let me, it was, that was very, very hard to get off. And then finally, I, you know, the medicine was over with, it was done. Right. I, th- I did, sell, I am going to lie. I sold all my other pills. I, I didn't like taking the Percocet. <laughs> I had to you get back. Selling, I sold all of them. I, I ain't going to lie. Like I, it's 2008. I did it. Yeah. They're going to come after me now. Well, remember uh, the, the Laura tabs. It was so funny. Cause I, I was just watching the show on Hulu called dope sick. And it's about how mm-hmm. like all the medication really, put the opioid epidemic like it mm-hmm. just started it because people who couldn't get pills anymore went to heroin you know and i remember the lower tabs had those blue speckles on them they look like candy almost right i forgot what they look but they sold pretty quickly yeah yeah like uh, they were like gone <laughs> like i forgot how but i remember taking them and that just wasn't my like i didn't like the way but percocets were the one and then i slowly got off and then i was like man that that process like this is serious like this is really mind you I had the most painful fucking surgery you could have like yeah, I had back. Back, I had a serious I have a scar to this day that's why I said like I can't do uh certain things like I can't do burpees and it's hard for me to do um jumping jacks you know I kind of do a lot of Pilates and um I really watch my weight because I can't I can't run physically run um because I have that equipment in my body and I don't want any but it that's to get off that was just terrible um and the worst feeling so I can imagine what you went through um it it was a horrible feeling yeah the heroin so I had tried to get clean a bunch of times and uh I used to try to tell myself with heroin I'd be like I you know I'd, I'd buy a bundle bundles would be like 10 10 bags uh, mm-hmm. and I'd be like, all right, th- I'm going to get off. I'm going to wean myself off. I'll do two today. And then, you know, I'll do, I'll do, you know, like I'm, I, I had this whole plan, which with heroin, you just, you can't do it. You have to be medically detoxed. I'm sure people have done it, but. Oh, I don't even like, it seems scary. That heroin does seem absolute scary because you can't, you do, like you said, have to get medically to wean off. Like yeah. it's yeah. And, and, uh, just the amount of times I, I would relapse you know the thing was like the heroin is you, you you get sick you become physically ill and I was mainlining like I was injecting it in, into my like I started sniffing it within two weeks I was using a needle and um mm. and uh getting you know once you start to get sick you know you get the runny nose your eyes are watering you're sore hot cold uh you know the the, the chills and then you know you're you're you got to go to the bathroom and then you're throwing up until there's nothing to throw up so the the sick the sick part of it like you just dreaded that and then even getting through that say you get on suboxone or methadone i mean i i wouldn't sleep like the first six months even this last time i got clean i i could not sleep 
Nicole, like, uh, oh man, yeah, I just could not sleep because you know, it changes, you know, your whole your brain chemistry and all that. And it was, it was very, very hard, but damn, that drug's like the, the devil. Yeah. I mean, and that's where, you know, all like all the stealing stuff I did once I got into my late twenties and in my thirties was due to, you know, me needing more heroin. Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, it was, yeah, it's a hundred percent the devil. You are correct. Yeah. That's yeah. Terrible. Well, glad you're sober now and you know, at least you made it here with us to, you know. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah overdosed a couple times. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> I got my Narca training, though, like that little, I have the bag somewhere. I got the, the, the Narcan, right? The Narcan. Like I got it and then I, I still have the little, like, uh, and that was something crazy because I was living in LA for so many period of time for over 10 years. And then I come back over here. I had my gallbladder taken out and the doctor wouldn't get me no pain pills. Really? That's <laughs> no, that was old. in California. Yeah. And then over here I had like something minor, a tooth pulled and they were, they were trying to give me like a, a pain pill. And I'm like, oh, this is ridiculous. How do I get my, and the gallbladder was painful. Right. That was painful. I just got some edibles. Um, I noticed in California, like they, because with the weed, they really like push it um, medical, you know, for medical purposes instead, which is a better idea. Cause I feel marijuana is not really to me, it's way safer. Right. Right. You know? Um, but it, like over here, I was like, what are they trying to give me this crazy? It was like crazy com- New York compared to uh I yeah, I mean, too- more on the Northeast, you know, there's all those sales reps from the uh, the pharmaceutical companies, you know, they they push they push narcotic medication. You know what I mean? It's an agenda. Mm-hmm. It's a total 100%. agenda. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's and that, you know, that's how, you know, even Geo, me, Geo, like, you know, Long Island was a hotbed. New York was a hotbed for it, like all the, you know, all up and down. I mean, even in Ohio, but there was a really bad crisis over over here the yeah. Old, old yeah no i saw i see it way more over here than i than what i did in l you know LA. la and then when it took for me going to a couple of doctor's appointments to see how quick they're ready to write something and it's like you know you guys need to stop yeah well, yeah like, i mean that they, they had a hustle going yeah 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 it's a shame and then you think you you go into your local doctor you think you're in trusted hands but it's no. not necessarily the case. So how did you tell us? We've had Gio on the show before about the uh, your podcast. Tell us about how you guys got together and your sto- your words. <laughs> so it's funny because, uh, you know, being a, a former, like a reformed criminal mm-hmm. and you know, recovering a drug addict um, during the pandemic, I was running an illegal show that was not supposed to be happening. And uh, it was private invite only. It'd be like 30 people, a lot of space. And then, you know, it would be like five comics. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, comics weren't making money. And some people really just wanted something to do. So for those people who were willing to do it, it was a good night. We would do it once a month. And it was a super secretive thing. And uh, Geo got in somehow. And uh, and we just started talking. And uh, we, we hit it off. So it was just funny that two reformed criminals just met at a illegal comedy show <laughs> illegal comedy <laughs> yeah. and uh and uh yeah you you know 
you know, me, I'm really in touch with my Puerto Rican side, him being Dominican. I'm like, oh, we're both Spanish dudes. You know, he he uh, was addicted to heroin, too. He was incarcerated also. And then we just started chopping it up and we got we became fast friends. And then, and then, he, and yeah. then he got your podcast now. Yeah, the podcast was 100 it was Gio's idea the on the gate and all that. And uh, I I didn't at first, I mean, it's not like we're super successful, but we're, it's growing. It's starting yeah. to grow. No, I see, I see yeah. the, uh, I see you guys have different guests on every week. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And, um, and yeah, it's just, you know, we talk about jail and, and drugs and then, you know, what our experiences with them, not like wanting to go back or do drugs. And then, you know, we have comedians on who sometimes they've been to jail, you know, maybe for a night or two, or they know somebody who's been to jail or sometimes, we just talk about whatever, but it's been uh, it's been great. And shout out to uh, Louis J. Gomez for letting us use the studio, I guess, to uh, to record. Oh, that's great. Oh, because you you are over there at uh, Gaslight Digital. We're at Gas Digital. Well, we don't. We're not signed, but he right, right, right. He's letting. Just, he's incubating us. He's right, right, writing the yeah. studio. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I got you. But we don't. He doesn't even. He just. He lets us use it, and he he's like, you know, hopefully. It gets to the point where they're like, all right, come on the network. That's what we're hoping. Oh, that's good. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's, uh, I have two different podcasts. So it's, uh, I've just learned that you have to just keep on being consistent, keep on and have on different guests and a variety. It's a chat, like it's work. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. And just keep on and keep on like every week hustling. For me, I find like I do half online and then half in studio. And um, I was renting a studio for a minute, but uh, um, it's expensive, a, right? No, it's expensive. And then like with the, I'll be real with you, the studio, like I would pay for something extra and I'd have to point it out to them. And I'm like, yo, like, you know what I'm saying? Every time I'm dealing with you guys, I'm paying for certain stuff. And then I've got to like ride your ass. You know what I'm saying? It is, a, it is a gaslight digital, but it's a different yeah. studio. And I, after like a couple of times, I'm like, okay. I'm going to slowly build my own studio. Like, right. yeah. The newer generation, you know, they don't want to, they don't work. They're not as diligent. I mean, they, oh, they yeah, they No, I know exactly what they, you're saying. They drag they're their entitled. Yep. Yes. Yeah. They're entitled. They feel like they should charge mm-hmm. more. And um, yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and it's, uh, and 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 I've noticed, I don't know what it is, certain businesses love to get over, especially if like you're a woman, right. especially if you're a woman of color, they want to get over you and you have to like write, you know, um, so after a couple of times, I was like, bye, you know, and I was like, I'll do this online because like it's easy for my, I got a good background over here. Yeah. You know what I mean? I have an editor and I have a great producer. Um, it's one of the things that drives me crazy about this city. Though. Like the fact that you paid for something and that they, and then you had to like get like, Hey, don't forget. I also paid for. Yeah. This. Yeah. I had to like, but it was like a couple times and, you know, and I was like, you know, and I'm not feeling the love from this studio. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, it's just right. that every time I'm paying and I'll pay extra, like, I'm not trying to get over on you. I'm paying for it, but I got it like point it out and I've noticed in New York like you know I'm originally from here but um and I'm from the east coast but it's like what the freaking happened in New York anymore with businesses it's so slow I remember back in the day you walk into a you know uh, a delicatessen bodega whatever you, you, to order something like it was quick 
quick, yeah. quick, quick, quick. Yeah. Now you got people going in there asking to look at a fucking menu. It's like there's no fucking menu. Bacon, egg, and cheese, or a toasted bagel with butter, you know. And even walking into places sometimes in restaurants, like 20 minutes before someone yeah. comes and seats you, like it's never been like this. New York was always in, out. And now I feel like it's. How about I went to a comedy show somewhere in Brooklyn and um, I go with somebody, we order food, we had two drinks each, we paid for the tickets. And I swear to God, this meal, and it was the, the meal was like r- basically rice and beans. And right. I think I had the salmon and they had the chicken, I want to say. And I, I, the wait, I think the waitress was being slick. How am I paying twice as much as in Brooklyn? Like three times as much than what I would pay at the stand. Right, right. And man, and I and I'm like, I'm never going back to this place. And I look at the reviews and it's all these shitty reviews. And I'm like, are you know what I'm saying? Like, like this wasn't even like a a a third of what I could have like at the stand as a yeah. meal. And you know, I went because there was a particular comic. It was a good show, I'll give it like all the performers were amazing. Um, but I was like, yo, like. This was, and, and the whole time they're pushing, don't forget two drink minimum. Yeah, we got our <laughs> drinks. We got our drinks and we got our meal, but the bill came out to like over $250. Yeah, that's, that's and, and, and for the same equivalent meal at the stand, I think, because we went like a couple weeks later, was like less than half of that. And yeah. it was a way better meal, was a way, drinks were great and i'm like what the hell's going the stand by the way is my it is my favorite club to go to yeah the stand is uh that's mine and geo's home club and it's so wild because i remember you know early in comedy i was like i this is i want to work this club like this is where i want to work and uh me me and geo got a show there so we basically when geo came and started producing with me once we met so we were doing shows at St. Mark's. We were doing shows in inside Combody in the studio, and it just so happened that uh, the Booker of the stand also worked inside of the jail in, in a jail and knew Gio oh, wow. because of that. <laughs> yeah. So this is a crazy story. This is wild, right? Uh-huh. So, right, just uh, for a little context, my brother, me and my brother. My brother also used heroin. We used to mm-hmm. use together and, and you know, commit crimes together to get money for mm-hmm. heroin, right? So I get clean. My brother got was clean, too. My brother relapsed, He and he ended up getting shot. He's, he's survived, though, right? Mm-hmm. And he came and lived with me for, for two years because it was a bad... He got shot point-blank range mm. and uh, in, the, in the abdomen. And I've never... Everybody I ever known that got shot in the gut was dead within like 24 hours. You know what I mean? It's a tough thing to uh, survive, but he survived. He had a colostomy bag. He healed up living with me in Brooklyn. And then he, uh, he left once he got all better. And he still, he had 17 surgeries. And a couple months after his last surgery, he relapsed. He, uh, he did cocaine. There was fentanyl and he passed away. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's, It's, it's all right. You know, it's, it just it happens, right? You know, especially with with the with the, you know you don't even know what you're getting half the time anymore now. So the day that we're gonna find out if we get our show in the stand, we're waiting for the Booker. Me and Gio are sitting there, and uh, my mother calls me. <sighs> I, I'm like, you know, I send her to voicemail because I'm like, you know, I, this guy's coming out to talk to us, and then uh, 
He's like, hey, I'll be with you guys in a minute. I just got to talk to somebody about something real quick. My mother calls again. I sent her the voicemail and then she called again. I was like, I got to take this. You know, something is wrong. You know, I pick up the phone. She goes, your brother passed away. And I was like, damn. All right. Like, I was like, I, I was so I couldn't believe it because of everything that I just watched him go through and survive. And she was like, I just want to let you know I love you. Once I get more information, I'll call you back. Then the booker came out. And he was like, congratulations, guys, you got your show. So it was like, I found out my brother passed away. I had to like, oh, man, this, you know, yeah, face. I, I was, I mean, it was, uh, my brother would have been proud because he loved that club too. He loved to go to the stand. He, he used to go all the time. And uh, even when, he, after he got shot, he didn't go to a lot of places. Uh, mm -hmm. He didn't like to leave the house because the colostomy bag, he felt like, right. but he would go watch comedy there um, when he felt up to it. And, uh, yeah, it was just hard. It was, a, it was, he would have been proud that we got the show in there. It was just wild that I found out that he passed away like two minutes before me and Gio got the show there. And then we sold oh. out like 16 shows in a row. And then we both ended up getting passed there. So we both work the club regularly now. So that's good. Well, I'm sorry, your father, your brother passed, but, uh, you know, it's great that at least the irony, he was he's looking out for you a hundred percent and you know it's so wild that like i'm a comedian and i tell jokes on stage but like uh behind all that is like this kind of stuff you know that pushes me to continue to try to succeed you know what i mean yeah it's like uh yeah it's just you know walking in there to perform you know i could see you know, I in the matter if it's upstairs or downstairs, like I remember where he sat the last time he was in that building in either mm -hmm. of those rooms. So like, you know, I just get to look back on those memories. Not to be not be, not to become emotional and sappy. I'm sorry about that. I hope I didn't ruin the No, moment. that's fine. No, that's <laughs> fine. No, that's fine. It's beautiful that you're sharing. Yeah. You know, what yeah, I'm but Gio was with me. He came, remember we sat outside for like uh for like an hour just talking. Because he got to meet my brother actually like uh, a month before that. But uh, yeah, you know, being clean, getting clean, getting off drugs and not getting in trouble. Like if I didn't, if I wasn't clean when my brother got shot, I would have never been able to open my home to him. Right. And stay with me. And then also spend, I spent so much time with him those, those last few, those last, those two years. And, uh, you know, he, he had a son and I got to know his son and, um, you know, just last week, I uh, I took his son, I flew his son down to uh, my parents so they could, you know, so they could see him. And uh, it was wild because we, when we were in the plane, we were like, you know, climbing, we're going up. Mm -hmm. I told him, I said, look out the window, you know, we're going above the clouds. And he was like, oh, that's where my daddy is. And it took everything, it took everything in me not to cry. Yeah. How old is your nephew? Six. Oh, he's only six. So you no, have a... Your brother left a six-year-old son. Oh, he was four. Yeah, he was four. He was, he oh, the man. thing that's beautiful, his his son is such a good kid. And he, he's named after him, too, Darren Raphael, uh, Darren Raphael Drescher Jr., mm -hmm. um, is that he's so well-behaved. He's such a good kid. He's a spitting image of my brother. He looks just like him uh, mm -hmm. when my brother was a kid. But he wants to know about his father. He's like asking, like, what's his favorite color? What was his favorite sports team? You know, where, you know, because uh, he's in the football and he's like, where was my dad when the Giants won the Super Bowl? You know, these are all questions I can answer for him. So, which is a beautiful thing. So, and these yeah. are the kind of things that if I ever felt like uh, 
regressing into my former self, like these are things I would not be able to do. You know what I mean? Like it is a tragedy that my brother died and very sad and I'm you know, it's very sad, but um it's a blessing that I'm able to at least, you know, tell his son about him, you know. Right. So that's important. Now I gotta try to write a joke about that somehow. <laughs> well you don't have to pull everything out of your life you know what I'm saying like you know a tragedy make a joke out of it I think day-to-day sometimes day-to-day finding material oh for comics is just you know just to me you know what what every time I go to the stand like it's such a mixed crazy audience and I feel bad because that audience over there at the stick, man, it's they stink sometimes, right? Yeah, I'll be honest. Like the last show that I went, it was Geo's show over there. He did a hell of a performance. And they and I was like, I had to realize I like, go, oh, these kids grew up in like Dunkaroos. They're all well, millennials. Was it, uh, last week? Or no, this- it it hasn't been in a while. Uh it had to be over a month ago because he was it was like when you guys you weren't there, who did he have? Uh, I can't remember everybody's names. I might have been Sam, Sam Santos. She might have been there. She wasn't there. Shari was there, and then JC Shari Diaz Diaz was there. JC Mendoza. Mendoza. Mendoza was there, and then um, who is the one that he's like a rock singer? He has three name. Um, He's going to be touring with Jelly oh, Roll. Josh Adam Myers. Yes, Josh Adam Myers. <laughs> he was the last one there. So he and he did he did really good. Um but that crowd was like it's man. so hard it's hard to connect with them sometimes cuz it's the it could be a more bougie crowd. Yeah. Or you know That's sometimes. the thing about like cuz um I've been interviewing some like LA comics and you know I lived there in LA for 10 years so I know pretty much like how the audience is and the different areas that they are. And, um, you know, California's I'm, I'm interviewing different Latino comics. Right. So in LA, when they're in LA, you know, it's predominantly Mexican, you know, right. it really is. Yeah. But we're in New York and, you know, it used to be predominantly Puerto Rican. And Puerto Rican. <laughs> used to be, used to be. I don't know. Bushwick does. It's not the same. No, uh, it's mostly white now. I yeah, think. it's. It, I got rejected <laughs> from living in Bushwick. I was like, why? I can't move here. Like, I got rejected twice. Like, and I was like, I, I was like, what is the issue during the pandemic? Wow. I was like downsizing. Yeah. Really. Yeah, yeah, I was downsizing. And yeah, that neighborhood they, used to be so Puerto Rican. Yeah, they did not want my ass in there. They were scared. They were like, it, it was ridiculous. So we're running from like an African American woman, and she's like, she said, they ain't letting. They're sweeping us all away. You know what I'm yeah. saying? But uh, yeah, like that. It, that's not really like the crowd that I've seen in some of the New York audience, it's not really New York. It's like transplants. It's, right. it's, 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 uh, you know, tourists out. Like yeah. one night I was, I think one night I was at the stand and they literally came with all the red hats. Oh, for real? And, yeah. I'm not joking. And I was like, yo, this is like, it was kind of, they, crazy. they had the red hats on and, um, and then I still saw amazing, and they, it was like the hardest audience. I, I was like, this is crazy. Yeah. And you um, know, trying to connect with those folks is tough enough. Right. And yeah. then, and then, you know, 
Maybe like I'm. And they they don't know. They don't listen. They don't know what jail is. All they know, they were raised on go karts and yeah. yogurt. Yo, what's it called? Go karts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and Dunkaroos. <laughs> and I think they were so devastated from 2001 when they saw, you know, yeah. uh, that and they all looked like that. They were all yeah, oh. yeah. Like that is the hardest. Even even though I love the stamp, you know. Some of the audience, and then I've been in a show like where I'm laughing at somebody, a comic, and then a, a woman will be, I, I can't relate. I can't oh, relate man. to her. And it's another one, like, and I'm like, go over there, get out of my head. Like, That's why I try to, like, I, I try, I try not to pander, but I'll, you know, I'll do a couple soft things up top. Yeah. To at least get them to, yeah, like, they're hard. They're yeah. hard. Yeah. They're hard. And, and, uh, that can be a hard that's the thing about uh new york manhattan like and it's the city because you've got to think who who's really living in the city you right, know a bunch right. of nyu students a bunch yeah. of fra- they really are only here temporarily yeah they're yeah, only here, here for four, a short five period. years and then they'll go and with- they're gone yeah. right and then they're they're they'll move to philly or la or yep yep they'll move away so it's it's uh I've seen some of those crowds in New York and it's uh, difficult and then they're trying to make them laugh when they've got like a stick up their ass so far. I get that's exactly that's yeah I see it and have stick that's what I said the poles running through the middle of these chairs what the fuck's going on these people right right and and then what's unfortunate with the stand is I don't see that many Latino comics that there should be um you know there like they have you they have Gio Mijo, uh, Shadi, JC, Sam Santos. I think it's there's a lot more now for sure. Oh, there's getting to be slowly yeah, but surely. Yeah. yeah. Julio yeah. Diaz. Uh, I could keep going. Oh, you could keep going. I, yeah, I keep going. I'm always looking out because of this show. I'm always yeah. trying to look out. Uh, yeah, but it's it, it's uh it just doesn't. I don't know. Julio Gallerati. Mm-hmm. Who else? He Pat Pat does good because I, I believe as far as like. He uh, he gives a lot of uh, he, there's a lot of it, there's it's super diverse and uh, I believe that uh, it's he he books more Spanish that club books more Spanish comics I think than any club. In oh, the, the stand. Okay, hundred yeah, percent. Oh, I'm gonna look yeah. some more then because I was like, I started. They're there. there. They're there. Trust yeah. me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, but it was a great show that I the last time that I was there that I saw. Um, it it was a great show. Everybody did good. Uh, but I did see the audience and I'm like, what's, <laughs> and, and that's what makes it difficult. Have you, uh, toured any? Yeah, I've been, I've been all over, especially this year. Um, I did Atlanta, Tampa, uh, Miami. I was in, uh, I've been Chicago. I'm doing Milwaukee, St. Louis. I mean, I'm going, I'm going everywhere. Which, what is your favorite spot so far that you've toured that you really like? That I really like the Laugh Factory in Chicago. When that, when that room is full, it's, uh, it's something. It's because it's like in an old theater, tiny uh-huh. theater. So there's like a pit, and then there's a an upper balcony. And uh, when you get when that place is full and you get a laugh in there, it feels so good, so good. But I, my favorite actually, one I did. So I did my first headlining um gig in hunter new york which is up in the catskills 
Mm -hmm. It was a small theater, 200 people sold out. I don't think they came to see me. I think it's just a small town and Mm -hmm. that's what was going on. Yeah. uh, They paid me uh, 600 bucks to do 45 minutes. Wow. Yeah. They paid for my, uh, my transportation and they were going to take care of my lodging. And uh, I was the, the, the deal was 30 to 40 minutes. I ended up doing 55. It was, I had such a good time. Mm-hmm. Like they even brought like the senior citizens out. They sat there. <laughs> they sat in the first. Everybody in that little town they brought yes. out. Yes. I, 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 went, I went out there. I said, oh, what did they sit? They sat the senior citizens fucking center in the first two rows. And I was like, oh, I feel like I'm looking into my, a lot of the, the other comics that were on were nervous of the old people, but you gotta, you just gotta talk to them, get to know yeah, them. Yeah. Yeah. You never, they probably will appreciate you more than any, you know. Oh, they had, I had a blast talking with them. A blast. Yeah. yeah I got, to, you know, that's the big thing is like, I want the audience to get to know me and I want to get to know them a little bit. Yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah. that, that was my most fun. I'm doing another headlining gig, which is so cool. It, it's, it's so wild that everything works out. Cause me and Cos, we used to do a lot of, um, like prison reform media. Like people would mm-hmm. talk to us, like Playboy has talked to us, Forbes um and we would go do like these keynote speaker speeches to try to like just talk to people who've never been arrested or have no idea what like incarceration is like about like to give people who are formerly incarcerated a chance so this lady filmed this one time for this media thing and then all of a sudden she emails me out of nowhere like a couple weeks ago and this is from from years ago i worked Mm -hmm. with her and she was like hey my friend is the booker of like 17 comedy clubs and here in oh, the states, wow. so here's uh, she made the, the connection for me, and then that guy ended up giving me like a headlining weekend in December, which is oh, I, I'm probably cool. not going to sell many tickets because nobody knows who the fuck. Nobody, I am. <laughs> but but you know it's just that whole thing of doing that amount of time, right? The the long set, forty five minutes to an hour. Mm-hmm. No, that's difficult. That seems that seems difficult. Yeah, well, it just makes you stronger. You know, makes you stronger. Yeah, it makes you a stronger comedian for sure. Yeah, because, you know, I'm used to doing in the city. And even when I when I go on the road, when I'm featuring for somebody like opening up for them, I'll do Mm -hmm. probably 20 to 25 minutes. If I'm hosting, it's 15. All the spots here in the city are usually between 10 to 15 minutes, but usually 12 minutes. Mm -hmm. So when you get to do 45 minutes, you really get to stretch your legs and, you know, really squeeze everything you can out of every joke you have so i'm pumped for that oh that's good yeah yeah and at least that connection it's always good when you get some sort of media attention and then your numbers go up it was so wild that like i i like the fact that she was still thinking about me this many years later mm-hmm. i was very appreciative of it she was like right. hey, you know i I don't know if you remember me, but I, you know, I follow you on Instagram. I like, to, I see how your comedy is progressing. I'm a big, I, I love That's it. good. That's good that people support you like that. You need, you do need people like that in your life to like, to uplift you. And they, you know, they see that you're trying and, you know, we need more people like that and to put the effort, you know, and for her to have a connection like that. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. It brings in money. Absolutely. And we love money. We love it. We love it. I got, that's the thing too, is uh, I'm not rich or anything, but since I turned my life around, it was so crazy because my first few weeks, like after I, my last time incarcerated in the last program, I I went in actually the first few months, like it was hard for me to get a job. I remember I went on like 17 interviews in a few weeks and Mm -hmm. nobody was hiring me. 
And then um, I got a job in a homeless shelter as uh, a, um, what the hell? I forget what my job title was. I was like um, the floor supervisor for the evening. But what I did mostly there was save guys from overdose. So I had like my whole drawer was just filled with Narcan sticks. And then Koss hired me at Combody. So for a while between child support and just rent and my mm-hmm. regular expenses, like I couldn't sleep at night sometimes because mm. I was like, how, you know, how am I going to handle this? How am I going to juggle this? You know, I was way behind in it, you know, because a lot of people don't know when you're in jail, if you're on child support, it doesn't stop. It just, you have to keep on. Yeah. I mean, it, it just accrues. So, I mean, I got out of jail. I was like $38,000 behind and, uh, that you got to pay that. Like they yeah. take it right from your check. And yeah, uh, damn, my daughter's father was locked up from the time she was four. And then he got out when she was 18. Am I entitled to? If you would have taken him to court while I was in court. I did. I did take him. But because uh, my daughter talked about this because now her father's out. And I said, well, whatever he gets, give him to you. He got yeah. butt hurt because I'm going to um, I'm visiting her. She lives in Vegas and he's in Vegas. And he goes, oh, I want to take your mom out to eat. I go, no, thank you. And he got butt hurt about that. I'm like, does he not get it? Like, <laughs> I mean, but, yeah, uh, he, so he was locked up for uh, 12 years, six or 14. For four. Yeah. And then he comes out and then he starts uh, like shot calling stuff with my daughter. You know what's funny? I did the same thing with uh-huh. my daughter and my daughter's mother let me have it. So she's like, she's like, our daughter is five. You've been locked up. You know, this is years ago. You've been locked right, up right. for three out of those five years. And I was like, oh, my, she's going to go to school here. She's going to do this. She goes, you don't get this. You have no say in anything. She goes, you know, and I was clean at the time. She's like, I don't know if you'll be clean tomorrow. But yeah, she she put me in my place fast with that. And when she, yeah. when she said it like that, I was like, yeah, you uh, you got a point. Yeah. No, he just was, he, he had to, like, he, it wasn't like he was, when I was talking to him and I'm talking to him about my daughter, then he's switching it up. And then he's, he, he brought up something and, um, and I'm like, and it's something with my personal life. Right. Which is none of his business. Which is none of his business. And I'm talking about his daughter and I had to, I put him right in his place. And then my daughter, um, he did a couple things recently to my daughter that he had done to me in the past in similar situations with, uh, and said a couple things and I, I, I'm not having it. You right. know what I'm saying? You, you could do whatever to me. You ain't gonna, you know, emotionally abuse my daughter. Right. Um, and I go, I don't want to see you, you know what I mean? And, but for, for him to say, Oh, I could take you to dinner. I'm not going to dinner with you. You jackass. Like, <laughs> He went to, and he basically went to prison because he was his friend. Somebody was going to hurt his friend and he had to defend his friend or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it, I'll be honest, it just didn't sound heterosexual, right. the, the incident. You there was homosexual and, and it so, like, it just sounded like, it sounded kind of like, yo, you know, if somebody's after one of my friends, I'm going to tell her, call the police. Uh, she needs to take care of it. I'm not going to go over there with a gun. I'm not going to go over there and defend. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah, I, yeah. I'm going to stay in my place because I don't feel like getting arrested. Right. You understand? But he he somehow got in trouble with it. He was defending somebody. I don't care if he, he hears and he gets offended. It, 
his panties might be a little bit tight for him or Does something. Does he listen to the podcast? I'm sure like if he finds out about it or whatever, but my, my daughter is funny. She hides pictures of, you know, you see my Instagram, she hides pictures and stuff of me from him though. Like, <laughs> but, uh, you know, but, uh, yeah, it was something, it just didn't make no sense why he even got in trouble in the first place. He already was a felon and he went over to defend his friend and, you know, you know, you have a kid. We were broken up at a time. He messed up with a prior girlfriend that I was upset about because I wanted weekends away. You know what I'm right, saying? So right. there wasn't, I, I lost it a long time ago. I wanted him to do good for himself. Um, but, you know, he got locked up till she was 18. And um, I did try pursuing the child support thing, you know, but the kid went through, a, a, a like I had to do a lot of hustling. You know, I had to strip for years. Right, right. So right. I totally understand where you're coming from, how hard it is to find job because I'm in the same place. Right, right. I, I've been, since I was like 17 years old, I was like, I got into a strip club at a young age, but been in the adult entertainment business and they stigmatize us. And right. then 2020 comes around and you get all these squares jumping into like OnlyFans and, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, the nerds. And they, they, they're the nerds. nerds. Like no, they're nerds and they're squares and they don't know the business and they're they're hurting the business and then they're, you know what I'm saying? They're parading around and then they're they're saying stuff that like, yo, you don't even know the. This is the first time you've touched money in your life. Right. You, right, you get right. what I'm saying? So. Yeah. It's now it's like cool to be in the sex work. And I miss being a dirty degenerate. (laughs) Um, Like it was cool when, you know, just like I was just a dirty degenerate. Oh, my God, she strips. Oh, God. Now, like any woman. Yeah, it's whatever now, right? Yeah. Like any woman now thinks they could jump on OnlyFans and they could sell content. You've got these squares like. I know they they do the cosplay. They're they're techies. It's I've seen, uh, yeah. I've seen it all. But I, you, a lot of them are frauds. The way, but you paved the way for them to be. I paved to- the way, but they don't. Let me tell you something. And I'm in, I've been in like a they lot don't of respect. Re- older people. They don't respect. No, the new people. Nope. They don't respect like the old people coming in, and um, they really don't. And uh, you got freaking, you got cops taking. Now, doing content and and, and oh, like it's, what it's the crazy. hell you guys are doing? You guys are like idiot. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> we, we nobody wants to see you know. What I'm saying? So I I get I'm kind of like there's a part you know I still have an OnlyFans. If anybody wants to see it, they can join. <laughs> uh, you know, it's wild and Geo, you know, has had to uh, calm me down so many times. Mm-hmm. Is uh you know I I'm not like anywhere. I'm not a I don't walk around aggressively or anything mm-hmm. like that. But when I when I was younger, like even in my early 20s, like just being streetwise, like I would never speak to somebody that was older than me or my senior. Like just I wouldn't even just I wouldn't I, I wouldn't speak to them unless I was spoken to or they right. it's nothing for me. Yeah. And, you know, to be in comedy, even though I'm an older man, I'll be 42 on Tuesday. Um you know, I'm still, I'm about six years in, I'm still what you consider a young comedian, but to have a 22 year old, 23 year old come up to me and just be like, Hey, I heard this, uh, what you said about this. And so I was and it's like, excuse me, like, why are you questioning me? Yeah. You, yeah, you don't get to do that. Yeah. And I, I was talking to some of the other older comics from the city. I was like, could you imagine 
doing something like that, like at 19, 20 years old. Never would dare do that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a different, yeah. They, the younger people don't respect like they used to. Right. Um, and I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. Cause I've seen that where young, yeah, they, oh no. When I was young, a young stripper, I'll say, I remember being in the club and I listened to these two older women and uh, I listened to everything they said and I respect them and I learned the hustle. I learned the game and that's right. how it was. You got to learn. You didn't interrupt them. All I didn't interrupt them and they paved the way and I got, yeah. And nowadays it's like, you yeah. know what I'm saying? You've got the, is it, it's just different. And then they get offended or hurt or bud feelings. Yeah. Or, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like he always had to talk to me. He's like, "Listen, don't strangle this kid. He's just a kid." I go, "I know, I know. I'm not." Gonna, <laughs> he told I'm you, gonna, "Don't strangle the I'm kid." Gonna, I'm not going to do anything. But it's it's wild. It's wild. It's yeah, wild. especially uh, comedians too, because comedians feel like they have to be funny all the time. Yeah, like even in the hang. And I, I will say this: like, I am very funny with my friends. I, you know, right. I know you. I loosen up, but like, if I don't know somebody completely, I'm not going to give them that part of myself you know right. I'll be cool and everything but like some of the things that comes out of people's mouths I'm like you are insane like I like if this was like I don't mean maybe even just only a few years ago I'd probably beat the shit out of you well like, <laughs> <laughs> you know I hear but, you yeah yeah well thank you so much Derek for coming on I greatly appreciate it you're very nice talking to you and um, I love what you have shared and uh, keep up the sobriety because uh, we need people like you to keep on going. I appreciate you. I hope it was a good episode. Up. I hope I was interesting. Yeah, you were interesting. You've got a lot. I, you're very relatable. Maybe because we're both degenerates. And <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? So um, let my audience know where they can find you. So you can follow me on Instagram at uh, Derek Drescher and then follow on the Gate Podcast on Instagram. Go on YouTube, like, subscribe. And uh, yeah, and all live. If you're ever in New York, you want to see me and Gio show, just hit me up in the uh, in the DMs. I'll send you free ticks. So. All right. Well, thank you for being on Sunday. Thank you. I appreciate you so much.